It's time for the Car Doctor on AM 950 WROL. Got a car question? Call us at 617-770-3030. That's 617-770-3030. Now, here's the car doctor, John Paul, on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. And good Saturday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. My name is John Paul, the Car Doctor, and I'm here. I'm actually here back in the studio. Enough of that Florida nonsense where it's 70 degrees and sunny and not 22 degrees when I left my house and not, well, it did get sunny eventually. But, um, yeah, so back from the uh, the southern studio, I guess. Uh, talking on a real microphone with real equipment and all kinds of stuff. So uh, always good to always good to see uh, Dennis in person too. So uh, yeah, so we're uh, so we're ready ready to go. We got uh, a lot of things to talk about. We're going to be talking with Julie Blakely from iccars.com. They have a, cu- a couple of new studies came up, so we're going to be talking to her in just a minute or so. And uh, this day is also the day where members of the New England Motor Press get together and review some cars that we've driven over the wintertime. We go down to the New England Motor Press secret headquarters, I guess, and, uh, and uh, check, check out what's there. But I think with us on the phone is Julie Blakely from iccars.com. Julie, good morning. Good morning, John. How you doing? Good. How are you? I am doing well, thank you. And I understand uh, you have a you well you have a couple of new studies that came out. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Sure. So the first study we looked at the cars that most owners are likely to keep for fifteen years or more. And the second study we did is cars that um, are better to buy new than used due to. Um, a small price difference between their new and used models. Well, let's start with the ones that people want to keep 15 years or more. Besides what sure. they are, what was did you get an impression? Did people are people just lazy and they want to they don't want to reset radio stations or or do they truly love the car? What what's sort of the reason behind it? That could be part of it, and um, you know, setting seat settings too. Yeah, another thing. <laughs> so. The cars that people keep for a long time, um, people buy these cars new and they you know, get attached to them. So a lot of these cars are family-friendly vehicles. We mm-hmm. see a lot of SUVs, a lot of minivans. Um, it just shows that these people who pay a lot of, uh, that purchase these cars new, but you know, they make an investment in their cars. And they're wise about the cars that they choose, and the cars that they end up choosing are, you know, durable, long-lasting vehicles that serve their purpose for a long time, and people get used to life without having to make a car payment. So there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for not having a car payment. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, you know, and I think you're right. It's people that probably did their research. They found a car that meets their needs and their lifestyle, and maybe they're not somebody who's bothered by the fact that they're sort of sitting behind the steering wheel for 10 or 15 years in a row. Right. And they and it becomes, I mean, let's face it, a lot of times we spend more time behind the wheel of our car than, I don't know, maybe sometimes than we spend with our significant others. 
Exactly. And some of these SUVs, you know, they don't, when they do have redesigns, they're not that significant. So you could be driving a 15-year-old car and it may not look like it's that old. Right. So what were some of these cars that people stayed into forever? So um, we looked at, like I said, the top cars. And of Mm -hmm. the top 15, they were mostly Toyotas. Oh, okay. So the top car was the Toyota Highlander, which is the SUV. Mm -hmm. The second one was a Prius, which, of course, is a hybrid car. Mm -hmm. And then we saw the Sienna minivan. And then in fourth, breaking up Toyota's dominance, is the Honda Pilot, which is an SUV that's also similar to a minivan, Mm -hmm. so a family-friendly SUV as well. And in fifth is the Toyota Tundra pickup truck. It's kind of funny. The pilot, uh, one of my coworkers, has two. One at three hundred thousand miles. She gave to one of her kids as sort of a, wow. as sort of the come home from college car, and the uh, and she replaced that pilot with a newer pilot. And I think that one has one hundred and fifty thousand miles on it now too. So, uh, yeah, the Honda Pilot's one of those super dependable vehicles that you can put a family of seven in, relatively comfortable. It's the car that she has taken back and forth on cross country trips, and it it has it has met her needs very well. She puts a big bike rack on the back of it to carry all her bicycles and she puts a she puts a roof rack, roof pod on it to carry her ski equipment so it it works out really well and like you said the the Toyota Highlander similar to the Pilot but just one of those very dependable kind of vehicles that's that's comfortable and and uh, yeah they had the one major redesign back a bunch mm-hmm. of years ago but yeah a Pilot I I I mean a Highlander I actually like the old design Highlander that was a little bit smaller, but the the later design Highlander, there hasn't been a ton of change in it in in the years, so you're right. So if you have it, you have it and you just keep it. In fact, one of my old co-workers had bought the Highlander when it first came out and kept it right up until they replaced it with a new Toyota RAV4, which is almost the size of the original Highlander. So it it was pretty easy to switch over to it, yeah. And uh, um, I'm surprised on the list somewhere the Ford F-150 pickup truck isn't in there only because they sell more of them than anything else. And and, uh, people people tend to have trucks a long time. Right. So we analyzed pickup trucks specifically, and the F-150 was actually slightly below average. So it ranked sixth of the eight pickup trucks that we looked at. Um, and sometimes the most popular vehicles tend to not be the ones that people keep for the longest Mm. time. And also with trucks, um, a lot of people, you know, um, use them for work. So, you know, you might be able to buy one more frequently if it's for work use as opposed to a personal vehicle. Yeah. And then, and then I suppose you always do hear about the, the person that, you know, kind of made it in life a bunch of years ago and bought a Corvette or a Porsche 911 mm-hmm. and they keep it in the garage and it gets driven a thousand miles a year, but they keep it forever too. So Exactly. Mm. Another, it's another good example. Yeah. And the other category of vehicles that it makes more sense to buy new versus used, mm-hmm. can you give us some, some of what those are? Sure. So like I said, we analyzed vehicles Um, We looked at their price difference between their new versions and their lightly used models. So this was after about a year. And we found that um, similar to 
the, the 15 year list, but all, the list was mm-hmm. different, but SUVs dominated the list. So of the top 10, we saw seven SUVs and they're slightly different. Um, the first one was the Honda HRV, which mm-hmm. is, you know, the, the smaller version of the CRV, mm-hmm. followed by the BMW X1 in second. The Subaru Crosstrek is in third. The Honda CRV is in fourth, and the Toyota Tacoma is in fifth. Mm. Yeah, those all make sense because you see, mm. you see like a, a Honda CRV for sale that's two years old, and you're like, right. and they want twenty one thousand dollars for it. How much mm-hmm. can't you buy one of those new for almost? And exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, um, where did the Jeep Wrangler show up on your list? So. Not this year. It, it was number one last year. Mm. The Jeep Wrangler and the Jeep Wrangler Unlimited. I'm not sure which yeah. one was number one, yeah. but they both ranked highly. So this year, it did. It showed up slightly beyond the top mm. ten, mm. and we actually saw, you know, because we were curious as to why, and we came across some articles saying that. They raised the prices of the new ones. Right. So we think that could have something to do yeah. with it. Yeah, that, so, that, yeah, yeah. It it used to be that it didn't make any sense to buy a Wrangler because mm-hmm. yeah, same thing. You'd see a you'd see a fifteen year old Wrangler for sale and it was like thirteen thousand dollars, and you say, why right. would anybody buy that? And then, and then I did. I was at the. Uh, I took a. I took a quick walk through the Rhode Island Auto Show yesterday. It was a Jeep Wrangler, and I'm like. And I looked at it, and of course, it was a pretty well-equipped one. And I'm like, forty-two thousand dollars, and right. you know, I had a little bit of sticker shock at that because I expected to see twenty-five thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I can I can understand how that how that works. Um, your your website, iccars.com, you have some very unique features on that, including the the uh, vehicle identification number lookup feature. Great. So that is called the VIN report tool. So it's available on our website and also as an app. So what it does, um, the, app, so the app version specifically, you can scan a car's VIN number and you'll instantly get um, what we call pre-purchase analysis, which mm-hmm. tells you the best times to buy the vehicle, obviously what the market price is. A lot of them link to free Carfax reports. So we like to say that it's everything in one place, all mm-hmm. the things that you'd want to know when purchasing a vehicle. And the response to it's been great. So like I said, it's available as an app, but also when you're looking on our car search engine tool, when you come across a car that you're interested in, you can click on the VIN report link and it'll take you to it on your desktop as well. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's also a good tool if somebody's thinking about um Selling their car, they can they can right. scan their they can scan the VIN and provide that to somebody and say, look, you know, here's here's the information about it. There there have you know there's there hasn't been any recalls. This is about what it sells for in the neighborhood, um, you know, and all that kind of information that makes maybe a potential buyer feel more comfortable about the car. Exactly. So we do have a lot of people that are selling their vehicles because yeah, it could be difficult to price a car. And also, we see application, tons of applications of it that you know we hadn't thought of. So, um, well, one instance is mechanics use it, which I get that's obvious. Mm-hmm. But um, tons of you know there are tons of uses for it for people that you know work with cars. Mm. So we've even seen um, 
what are called skip chasers um, use it because they want to know, you know, the original color of a vehicle. So it has a lot of interesting uses that oh. <laughs> people are taking advantage of. <laughs> I, ne- I never thought Dog the Bounty Hunter was using your <laughs> right, app to exactly. go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's 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 kind of that's kind of funny that you know something like that would be would be used that way. But yeah, it is it is sort of a uh, it is an interesting tool. And on your website, you have a lot of car reviews too. Yes. So um, we have a dedicated team of, you know, reviewers that that review the most recent cars. Mm-hmm. And it goes on our website and we have these vehicle research pages on our site, you know, that get, get populated with that information as well. So we like to think that we offer everything to a consumer that they would need when purchasing a and, vehicle. And you uh, right. and your local local here in Massachusetts. We are. So we're located in Woburn, Massachusetts. Yeah, which, you know, for people to say, hey, you know, I, kind of, I still do like dealing with a, with a local New England company, and boom, there you icecars.com, and look at that. You're right in Woburn. <laughs> yes, we are. And, and then you also have that car doctor guy who does a Q&A column once in a while for you, too. So. Of course. Yeah. Our, our very popular <laughs> Q&A column with the car doctor um, definitely more, adds, adds something wonderful to our site as well. More importantly than all of that, I know you went to Disney World. What would you think? So that's actually coming up. Oh, it's coming up? You haven't been from, yet? Oh, okay. Yes, in a week. I have oh. not been. Okay. <laughs> well, so uh, in, you can ask me in a couple weeks. <laughs> okay, so we'll we'll figure that now. Dennis, Dennis, my producer knows something about Disney World, right, Dennis? Um, I've been a few times. Been a few times, just a few times. Um, like five or six times yeah, in my life. F- f- okay, oh, five or six times. Any any uh, any Disney novice tips you have? When you go in the park, go left. Don't go right. Everybody go goes left. right. Go left. I don't know why it works, but it works. You get on more rides that way. That is excellent advice. <laughs> I don't know and, why. And and if you're I think this is still the case, if you drive to the park and you're a triple A member, triple A members have preferred parking. That is great to know. Yeah. I didn't even realize yeah, that. Yeah, there's yeah, so there's much a, to know about Disney World. Yeah, it's like yeah, the car world. Yeah, it's and uh uh, and some of the classic some of the classic rides are still there. Space Mountain. Oh, you're gonna be able to see the um the Star Wars ride. I'm very jealous. Oh goodness! Well, just so you, you know, just so you know, Dennis drives a Nissan Rogue from the you know Rogue One Star Wars version. Yep. Oh and my he, goodness! And he has a Darth Vader tattoo. Yep. Wow. So, so knowing that you're going to the go see going to Disney where the Star Wars ride is, um, he's he's a little jealous now. So. <laughs> It wasn't even on my radar because I'm looking at mostly a kitty ride. Yeah, I know. Oh, you going to to- you're gonna go to the to- you got to go to Toy Story Land. I, I heard that's really oh, good. Oh, of course. I heard yeah. that's really good. And uh, yeah. and I I haven't been for a bunch of years now. But when my nephews graduated from high school, apparently, I was not thinking clearly, and I said to my nephew, uh, "Hey, Dan, if you make the honor roll, we'll take you to Disney." And oh, about goodness. and about four months later, he's like, "Hey, Uncle John, I made the honor roll," and I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> uh oh." Yeah. So uh, we went to Disney, and even though they were teenagers, and he brought his older brother came along, even though they were teenagers, we went to go see A Bug's Life. Oh, that oh. It, that it's it's in the, in the Tree of Life. Yeah. 
That and, is an amazing experience. Yeah, yeah. So, so for and there were little kids and big kids and and the only the only one I'd warn you about and maybe it's not there anymore is it's a wonderful life because you'll go on this very pleasant. It's not it's a wonderful life. Uh, it's, it's a small world. It's a small world. Yes. And you'll the song will be stuck in your head for days, days. afterwards. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah it's a but uh, the bug's life is in the tree of life, which is in the um, animal kingdom. Yeah. So. So there's all kinds of there's all kinds of stuff stuff to see there. So you know so you know leave the auto world you know alone for a little while and uh, and uh, you know become you a test be, track. Yeah, there is yeah there is a test track. It, mm-hmm. it, it was interesting. The test track used to be the Oldsmobile test track. Yeah. Wow. So, so they had to you know they had to change the name because you know there's no Oldsmobiles anymore. So um, but there is it it's. Um, it, it is a very unique place and um, and uh, you'll you know and it's a good place it's a good place where everybody can be a kid so it's so awesome. even even though even though you're you know even though you're looking for kitty kitty rides you'll, right. you'll find that uh, you, you can you can uh, you can shrink down too and be a kid so. absolutely yeah that's great. I'm very excited. Yeah. Well, Julie, thanks for taking some time out of sat- out of your Saturday and joining us on the Car Doctor Radio program. And the website again is um, iccars.com. You can find out all kinds of information if you're thinking about buying a car, uh, selling a car, doing just doing car research. It's all there, right on the website, right? Yes, it is. iccars.com. Check us out. If you're looking to buy a car, to sell a car, anything car related. How, how about if I how about if I want to sell my own car? Is there a exactly? Place? Yep. Yeah. So yeah. we have we have um, a you know sell my car tool that you can access on our website, and you can actually list your car for free. Yeah, and the and the and the thing is, it's it's sort of like real estate. It has to be it has to be priced properly. And what I tell people is be realistic when you're trying to sell your car and then look at the other ads. You know, if you, if you have a, you know, 2007 Toyota Camry and you, you think it's worth $15,000 and you go and you go on your site and you look and you're like, well, every other one is $5,000. Well, you're never going to sell your $15,000 Toyota Camry. So do your do your research. Use the tools you have, but also look at the other ads and see what other people are trying to sell their cars for. And the and the other thing is, from a personal view, um, make your make your used car as appealing as possible. Clean it, vacuum it, make it smell nice inside, wax it, polish it, make it look nice on the outside, and you'll find that does a lot for. Uh, you know, use use those pictures and don't try to hide yeah. anything either. If there's a if there's a dent in the fender that you never got fixed. Put that in the picture too, so people aren't disappointed. Can you spell the website? Right. Uh, Dennis says, "Can you spell the website?" It's pretty easy, sure. though, right? So I then c s e e cars dot com. Yeah. So the letter I. So uh, I remember when I was talking to your boss and founder. I this was many years ago, and I was like, "So it's sort of like I see dead people from, <laughs> from the line from that science fiction movie." And he was like, "Well, sort of like that, yeah, but it's only I see cars, yeah." So. Yeah. He still brings that up. I, he does. Uh, <laughs> oops. <laughs> well, Julie, Julie, thank you for taking some time out of your Saturday of and course. enjoy Disney World. And uh, maybe we'll talk to you when you get back and find out what the whole di- what the whole great. novice Disney experience is like. Oh, I'd love to. Okay. Thank you so All right. much. Take I appreciate care. you taking me on. All Have right. a great weekend. You too. Bye bye. That was Julie Blakely from ICCars.com. Um, 
If you would like to join us and talk to us about your car, your car problems, whatever's on your mind, you can give us a call at 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Phone lines are open. Um, you know, as part, part of what she was talking about was, um, you know, the 15-year the, um, the study. And, again, that Honda, um, they analyzed a bunch of different vehicles. And according to the latest study, um, the average new car costs 26.8% more than a one-year-old used version of the same car. However, certain cars have a price difference of as little as 10% or $2,300. And the Honda CRV, HRV, which is smaller than the CRV, um, about 10% difference in price, new versus used. So if you if you were thinking about buying a used one, you know, for $2,200, it's not, not really worth it. Um, BMW X1 sort of surprised me because usually BMWs drop in value pretty quick um, after they get used a little bit. Uh, but only about a uh, little less than 12% difference. Honda Crosstrek, about 12% difference between new and used. And that's, a, that's another unique one because that's a fairly new vehicle. And um, I don't know. I think uh, uh, the Subaru Crosstrek, I think, kind of in the scheme of things, is not the most popular Subaru. And maybe that's why it holds its value um, a little bit better, which is good, but not good if you're trying to look for a used one. Um, trying to think who he was the smart money guy used to be on all the radio stations jonathan pond um i did a program with him once and he he used to buy he never bought a new car always bought a used car always bought a used toyota corolla it wasn't a very flashy guy probably a billionaire um and that's why and that's <laughs> why and that's why because he bought a he bought a two-year-old toyota corolla but uh, which is not on this list. Uh, um, interesting, the Porsche Macan is on the list. I've never driven one and barely seen any of them. But um, always interesting is, stuff. What is the cho I'm sorry. What is the Porsche Macan? Yes. What is it's that an one? SUV. Oh, it's, yeah. Is that the one with those? The smaller one. Okay. The only time the only time I've ever seen a Porsche Macan, it had a lift light in the back of it, and someone was using it for taxi service, which I thought was. Somebody who couldn't quite afford their car. Yeah, I don't like the Porsche's SUVs headlights. Those four little. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. They're annoying. Sorry, yeah. sorry, Porsche. Yeah, well, that's okay. So, um, this is almost in the category of what you, what you want someday. Boeing joins the flying taxi crowd. Yes. We've called attention to several, this is from uh, somewhere, Automotive News, I guess. So we've called attention to several flying taxi ventures uh, over the years, and now giant Boeing is in the game. The company's passenger air vehicle prototype made its first test flight in January. The vertical takeoff and landing craft is a combination of scaled-up drone and pusher plane. The um, multiple horizontal propellers providing vertical flight. Forward flight is accomplished by a single large propeller in the back of the craft. So this one looks more like an airplane versus a pod thing with engines on it. Um, it said uh, shortened wings allow it to t uh, take advantage of... Uh, Wing flight, so it doesn't have to rely solely on the horizontal propellers to stay aloft. Boeing tested the craft in autonomous mode without a pilot. The electric prototype is designed for fully autonomous flight, and it has a range up to 50 miles. The prototype completed a controlled takeoff, uh, hover, and landing during the flight, which tested the vehicle's autonomous functions and ground control systems. Um, future flights will test uh, 
for forward uh, wing wing home flight. I don't know what that really means. I guess that means it's actually flying like a plane. Uh, so that's the difference. And then uh, vertical takeoff and forward flight modes. So I guess if Boeing's behind it, we could actually see something. Could actually see. I don't know. Still not the same. You just want to fly in a car. That's all. That's all. That's all I want. Just, just that simple. Flying car. Get me a flying car. You're supposed to have them by now. Yeah, I know. I remember, and I have I have a, a copy of Popular Mechanics, and it has some of some of their old ads in it. And yeah, I remember as a kid, there was all the ads in the back of Popular Mechanics, and you were going to have a flying car by now. You were. It said you were. So. I want to know whatever happened to that because I every once in a while the in my memories that picture will populate um, where uh, on Facebook the memories a picture will, where I got my picture taken next to that local flying oh, the car company Terrafusia. That's it. Yeah, I don't know. You know that that is. Um, we tried to get them on the program. They didn't seem to have any real interest. No. Um, they had a their original prototype, the one that was in their video where it showed it like coming out of a garage with the wings folded up and it showed it going down the street and it pulled into a shell station and it got gas and then next thing you know it was flying that's the one i got my picture with and they're both they were both real the flying one was real and the other one was real but they were not the same thing one was literally a little airplane and one was the other thing that drove around now they've kind of scrapped that whole idea, and now they have something with, like, four engines on it. Um, doesn't have the same wings, uh, and they, they have a really good, um, what do you call it, CGI? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so uh, kind of an animated, looks real thing comes out of, you know, it's kind of the same deal, comes out of the garage, takes off, flies you to work, lands on the roof, and off you go. Um, but it looks real, but I know it's not. So, <laughs> And then and then there was there's a company in China or India that does, it looks like a remote-controlled drone, only it's big, and you sit in it and, like, eight propellers take off and it goes and drops you off somewhere. There was also some place in Nevada that was, had this, like, I'd call it a dragster flying car. The Molar. That's it. <laughs> and that thing has been around for 20-odd. I remember I, I found we moved our office at work, kind of. We, um, they're renovating our building. We've been in for 20 years. So we're going from one space to a different space. They're knocking walls down. So, but to do it more easily, they moved us down the street to a different building. So as I was throwing stuff out my desk, because I've been at the same, in the same spot now for 20 years, longest time I've ever been in one spot, been at AAA for 34 years, but I've literally been in the same desk for 20 years. I haven't even lived in the same home for that I long. Know, I know. Um, I was throwing stuff out, and I did a, I did a presentation somewhere, somewhere in Boston area about the future of cars. You know, what what the future of the automobile is going to look like. And the last slide was the Molar flying car. And so far, the only one that he's flown looked like a 
looked like a UFO. It was a round dish with a bunch of propellers on the inside of it tethered on a crane. So the thing takes up, swings around a little yeah. bit. But the one that looks like the dragster that you're talking about looks like a funny car with these four weird engine things on it. Um, same thing. They've done some more CGI. But I don't think that thing's flown either. And and it came up in conversation a couple of weeks ago with somebody. And I'm like, I'm like yeah, the, the guy is still, I have to give the guy credit. He's still making a living somehow. Trying to build this thing, he hasn't built it yet, but he's still trying to he's trying to make a living building it. We're going to take a break. When we come back, there was an article from Science One Hundred and One about thirty cars that should never have been built. I don't agree with a lot of them, by the way. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. Oh, by the way, Dennis is going to hate me, but hey, you know, glorious times. Yes, glorious times. I have tickets to. The AAA Travel Marketplace, which is going to take place March 1st through the 3rd at Gillette Stadium. Ever hear of that place? No. There was something. Something big happened. Something big happened recently for that local team that plays there. So even if, hopefully my bosses aren't listening. Even if you don't want to go to the travel show, but you've never been to where the six-time Super Bowl champion Patriots play, here's a free ticket to get in and walk around the stadium. It's actually it kind of fun. It is kind of fun. So, anyway, AAA Travel Marketplace is going to be taking place March 1st through the 3rd at Gillette Stadium. Um, and I have tickets to give away. All you got to do is uh, give us a call at 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Say good morning to Dennis, and he'll take down your name and address, and we'll mail you out tickets. We'll be right back.
get around, I get around, yeah, get around, round, round, I get around, get around. And welcome back to the Car Doctor program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston. And you can listen on AM 950 100.3 FM. Easy with the buttons there. Sorry. <laughs> uh, you can also find podcasts which have not been updated in the past two weeks, uh, but they will be sometime over the weekend with the la- with what we've done in the last couple of weeks that will be on. Uh, it's switched over, by the way. And you can always find my podcast links on the Car Doctor Facebook page, or uh, you can go to johnapaul.podbean, podbean, just like it sounds, .com. And, of course, um, it should be on Stitcher and iTunes and all those kind of places. It should automatically post to those. So if you just uh, search the uh, Podomatic website I uh, that I had, uh, johnapaul.podomatic.com, is gone. Uh, I'm saving a little bit of money. So I went to Podbean, which provides, I don't know, provides more storage for less money. So... It's not as fancy though. It's not. I can't quite, can't quite do as much with it. But it's okay. It's all right. Um, our phone number six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. I need to be retrained. I haven't been here in a couple of weeks. It's like I've never taken a two week vacation before. By the way, and yeah, that was a long one. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was two full weeks. I mean, even though I did the show on Saturdays and I did uh, Joe Ligotti's show on Wednesday. Uh, I thought Joe might have been calling into the show today. I haven't heard from him yet, but uh, but um, and I believe I'm going to be calling into Joe's show this Wednesday at five fifteen. So if you listen to Joe Ligotti on nine fifty AM, the guy from Boston, uh, you can uh, I think I'll be on at five fifteen with him. So, but uh, with us on the phone is uh, Brian. Brian. Hi there. How Hi. are you? I understand. I understand you bought a crappy used car from somebody. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> I did indeed. Yes. Um, and uh, and uh, is is there been a problem with it? It's not really a problem. It's more of a more of a question. So you know, been driving the car now. I think since June. Dennis mm-hmm. will confirm yep. that. I guess. Yeah, it's about that time frame. So yeah. you get to the winter time. So it's a 98 Chrysler Sebring convertible. And you go out, you know, unfortunately, the other cars we have have remote starters, and they're nice and warm when you get out there when it's 5 degrees. I go out and I'll start this one up early, and the engine warms up and it drives fine. The interior of the car doesn't warm up. It maybe gets to lukewarm where you can't see your breath anymore, and I've done some looking, but like I said, the engine temp gets up to the normal range. It's driving fine. Now, now you um, you do have the top up at this point, right? I do indeed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when it got up to thirty last week, I thought about putting it down, but um, common sense prevailed. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Although I will, um, I will say, I have, I have uh, on a bright, sort of a bright day, one of those days where it snows and the snowflakes look like they're 
the kind that little kids make in kindergarten, like the big fat snowflakes. I have driven yep. a convertible with the top down. It is actually kind of cool when you do that. But uh, oh, that is neat. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds as if either the heater core, so the little radiator that makes the heat inside the car, is either clogged up, or the there's a door that opens and closes that blends warm air with cold air, and so it could be the blend door is stuck. It could be the it could be the uh, heater core is clogged up. The the heater hoses hoses that go into um, where the heater is. You'll see these hoses are about an inch or so in diameter. Um, with the engine all fully warmed up, if you kind of just put your hand on one one hose, it should be hot, and the other hose should be really really warm. If one hose is hot and the other hose is almost cold, you know that the hot water isn't circulating through the inside of the car. If that's the case, um, the heater core is probably clogged up. Uh, that that could turn into a fairly significant repair to have done. Uh, what year did you say it was? It's a 1998. Yeah, so... Um, in most cases, you kind of have to take the whole climate control system apart, which turns into a pretty big job. And a lot of times you have to take the air conditioner apart. So it can turn into a big job. The other part, the if it is, in fact, the, um, the blend door, well, that's not quite as big a job. And when you turn the when you turn the heat or the air conditioning on or move the ducts around or anything like that does um do you ever hear like a clicking noise coming from under the dash like a click 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 almost like a, a real fast snapping sound not that i've noticed but I mean, I do know that when I flip the dials, it does come out the vent. It does come out the defroster. Yeah, yeah. that means that those ducts are working, but there's there's a duct that actually opens and closes and blends refrigerated blends air conditioned air with the heated air. So when you when you turn the heat all the way on, the door for the air conditioner closes. When you turn the heat on, uh, or just the opposite, when you turn the air conditioner on, it closes it closes the heater door. So you'll get the ducts moving around that way, but the blend door duct might not work. If if this car in fact needs a needs a heater core, um, you might just want to wait till spring and then just drive it in the springtime because I think it's about the last time I looked, these cars are six or seven or eight hours worth of labor to do the repair. So yeah, so you're talking you know eight or nine hundred dollars plus the cost of the part so that could get you know that could get that could get really really expensive that's more than you uh, paid for the car yeah ride. yeah so <laughs> yes it is yeah and, yeah so and with like a three mile commute to work i yeah, can deal with the cold yeah um if it if it is the uh, you know if it's the blend door thing um it's it's not quite as expensive but it's still fairly expensive yeah you might just want to buy a warm jacket Yep, yep, yeah. I have those. Or, have or those. you know, the other the other thing, too, is, and they don't work terribly well, but they work better than nothing, is you can, there's these little 12-volt uh, electric heaters you can plug into the cigarette lighter, and they do generate sort of instant heat. Um, it's, you know, it's kind of akin to trying to heat up your car with a hairdryer, but it might just take the chill off for the, your yep. your couple of miles, and you can you can buy those at you know, I don't. Know. I've seen them every Harbor Harbor store. Freight and auto parts okay. stores and places like that. So you know, for ten or fifteen dollars, you might get a little bit of heat in the car. Um, if if this was a car you drove longer distances and you know you could always 
you know, set up a timer and an extension cord and put a little electric heater in the car and kind of pre-warm the car before you get in it. Um, yep. You know, that's kind of a lot of work and dealing with extension cords and snowy, rainy oh, weather is a pain. But, but you might try the little 12-volt heater. But either way, okay. you know, if you said to me the car's not getting up to temperature, the temperature gauge is still on the low side, replacing the thermostat would be the answer. But if the car truly is getting up to normal operating temperature, the thermostat's working normally. So chances are it's either the heater core or the, or the, or the uh, blend door. So. Okay. I had seen something online, but again, I, I sometimes take that with a grain of salt, where the overflow tank could, the connection there could clog, and if it's got just a little low fluid, it doesn't let heat into the car, but yeah, the, the radiator, I'm a little skeptical about yeah, that. Yeah, the radiator would have to be, the theory behind that is when the radiator is full and the overflow tank is about half full, and that's where it always should be, um, as it kind of expands it goes into the overflow tank as it cools it sucks it back in well if it's gotten low over time the radiator is going to be down on fluid which is going to starve the amount of fluid going into the inside of the car so the antifreeze isn't there's not going to be literally not enough antifreeze to circulate through the heater core to get warm but usually when that happens the car tends to run hotter too so um, no it's 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 probably it's it's probably the heater core is clogged up just from just just because yeah um it's possible that someone you could have take it somewhere and they could try to flush out the heater core um that will that will get all of the junk that's kind of collected in there over the years the bad side of that is if someone is less than gentle and using you know you put a little bit of chemical in there and some low water pressure uh if someone puts too much water pressure in there you might find that the the stuff that's clogging the heater core is the only thing that's keeping it from from leaking, and uh, you could end up with a leak afterwards. But, I mean, it's it's worth it's worth a try. You could you could say to somebody, hey, you know, I'm not getting any heat. Can you flush out the heater core? See what they have to say and give it a give it a shot. Um, but uh, the simple test would be again, if one heater hose is hot and the other heater hose is kind of almost cold feeling, you know, the water's not circulating through the heater core enough to get enough heat off of it. If one's hot and the other one's warm, you know that the coolant is flowing through the heater core, then it's probably the blend or actuator motor that makes that makes it work. So All right. Okay. I'll check that all out. All right. Good luck. Thank you, sir. All right. Take care. Bye bye. You too. Bye. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. And again if you want tickets to the AAA travel marketplace, Dennis is just staring at his phone right now anyway, so answering questions about the radio show. So 30 cars that were never never should have been built, according to Science 101. The 1955 Dodge La Femme says here, this beast of tragedy was breathed into existence in the 1950s. Its purpose to give women an alternative to cars that apparently were only constructed from, for men. The manufacturing trend... Uh, I didn't realize was in existence, either did I. The car came in pink and white and uh, just the right color for your female counterpart. The car was essentially the same as a Dodge Royal Lancer, which was equally terrible, according to this article. It had uh, pink seats. Unfortunately, the pink and white woman's mobile didn't sell too hot. The car only floated the market for about two years. Never heard of it. Don't know anything about it. 1982 Cadillac Cimarron. Uh, 1982 was good for a lot of things, not for the Cimarron. Thriller was number one in the charts, if you're interested, according to this article. Um, 
Smurf Rescue was released on ColecoVision. Do you even know what ColecoVision That was a good game. Was it? Yes. <laughs> um, one of the notable failures of this year was this 82 Cimarron. Uh, this article describes it as a train wreck of a car that hit the market with lackluster flair, and the sales showed it. The Cimarron was a uh, Chevy Cavalier. That's all it really was. I remember even seeing one that was um, that had wind-up windows, hand-crank windows and a Cimarron, and a standard transmission. So it really was what? I need two of those tickets. Okay. That's all right. Your wife wants to go? No. Oh, okay. All right, whatever. But anyway, it was funny. I was talking to one of my neighbors down in Florida, and uh, the trailer park, yes, it's a trailer park, don't judge me, um, that I live in, interestingly enough, has a lot of people from Michigan in it. And this one woman, her father worked for General Motors, and she, and she had a Cavalier, and she drove to her, I forget what she said, she was driving to her uncle's house, her car broke down, she borrowed her uncle Cimarron, and she's like, it was exactly the same as my Cavalier, and it was a Cadillac. And I said, yeah, it was. It was a terrible car. Um, the rest of the trailer park, and this is kind of a generalization, there's the Michigan people and the people from Quincy. <laughs> there's a lot of people from Quincy. <laughs> And uh, but for some, well, who I haven't really met because they're on the other side. But I've heard I've heard stories about them. So they're over they're over there. So anyway, the the other the number three car on the list, the Mustang two. Uh, second generation of Mustang was much like any sequel. Sequels are never equal, sort of thing. Mustang two, little Mustang, sort of a Pinto. There was supposed to be a Mustang. The best thing that ever happened to the Mustang two. The well, it went away, and the second best thing was it was used pretty exclusively in Charlie's Angels, so it was sort of the car and the original Charlie's Angels, not the not the bad movie Charlie's Angels. Uh, the next one was a Saturn Ion. I don't remember this being a horrible car. It was what it was. It was basic transportation. Um, just kind of looked like a Saturn. Nothing special about it. Um, I remember being at the New York Auto Show where it was introduced, and they were using sort of keep an eye on the Ion. So the their advertising campaign was worse than the car. Um, this car was bad in every note, according to this article. It says, from its interior to the exterior, a big fan of plastic on the inside. Uh, Toy Story Playground, it's uncomfortable probably because of the plastic. The exterior also had a thick and un Bearable plastic coating, why Saturn's infamous dent-resistant door technology, of course. Dent-resistant wasn't guaranteed. They were pretty dent-resistant, though. Uh, my neighbor, who was talking about Cimarron, has a Saturn sports coupe. And thing was beautiful. It's brand new. It sits outside all the time. Um, underneath, kind of rusty. Uh, but the plastic body panels look fantastic. Um it says here that, unfortunately, its redesign was not enough to save the brand from getting axed from the parent company. It had nothing to do with that. Saturn started deciding that they didn't make any money selling the cars that they made at the Saturn plant in Tennessee. So they started importing Opals. The Opal versions were actually quite good uh, because they were German Opals. And... 
they were making some pretty good cars. The problem is it was just another product line that was competitive. The company itself never made money because it lost so much money trying to sell the first Saturns. First Saturns weren't horrible cars. Um, they were dependable. They were dent-resistant. They were different. It just there was nothing fantastic about them, so they didn't sell. Sorry to Peter in Salem. The Edsel Corsair. Sorry, Peter. The Edsel was a disaster for many, and again, this isn't me. This is Science 101. The Edsel was a disaster for many reasons. First off, that grill. Second off, it was hated by essentially everyone who bought it. Ford had apparently spent about $300 million building this monstrosity, and boy, it didn't pay off. I feel bad for the company, uh, but hey, they did it to themselves. One particularly abominable feature of the car was push buttons on the steering wheel. Well, uh, these are in use today. These early iterations of technology were perilous. Many people, for instance, would accidentally change gears when they meant to change the radio station or honk the horn. I think the I think the Edsel is such an iconic car today, at least it makes it pretty cool. Again, they had Ford, they had Mercury, they had Lincoln. It was ahead of its time. It was ahead of its time. But they had Ford, they had Lincoln, they had Mercury. Did they really need a fourth car lineup that sort of slotted somewhere in between? Eh, maybe not. Um, the nineteen eighty one DeLorean DMC twelve. So the DeLorean. But but. But it's back to the future. But <laughs> yes, it, it has a flux capacitor. It does. <laughs> it does. We gave away flux capacitors once, you know. Yeah, I think I remember you telling yeah. me that. Yeah. Uh, its inventor, John Zachary DeLorean, was well known for building uh, Pontiac GTO. It didn't help much with the construction of this. Perhaps it was the plague or so of yes men guiding Mr. DeLorean down uh, design paths. I don't know. I. I think, again, it's unique enough. You know, they're not making it anymore because he was selling, well, allegedly. It was in the drug business to fund his car. And the other thing wrong with the DeLorean was it had a rather generic V6 engine, and it. it was the same engine that was used in Renaults and Peugeots and Volvos, I think. Um, so it, it, was, it looked interesting. Um, the idea that it was all stainless steel, so if you got a little scratch on it, you just go out there with some steel wool, polish it up, look fine. Problem is, not everybody wants the same color car as everybody else. So if they sold, you know, if they sold a hundred thousand of them, all of a sudden there's a hundred thousand cars that look just alike. Every once in a while, you see a DeLorean painted, and you go, "Wow, that looks kind of." Um, I've never seen anybody really do anything to the engines in them, like, and they have the opportunity to certainly do it. Um, also on the list, the Pontiac Aztec, which was a minivan with a bunch of body cladding on it. I heard that... Was it a minivan or an SUV? Well, it looked like an SUV, but it was really a minivan. Okay. Um, but I heard it sold so well, and this is me, not the article. It sold so poorly that they made all the Pontiac executives drive them. But uh, the Pontiac Aztec, despite its purpose of all-terrain fun, was anything that it was... Um, for instance, it, uh, its only claim to fame is that it killed the Pontiac brand. That's not true, whoever writes these things. Um, Aztecs ha had a hilarious introduction to the market as a prize for winning a contest in the first ever Survivor. I didn't know that. Yes, and it was really cool. What the other part, the other thing that I remember from it is that it came with a, a tent option that you could it put did. in the back of it. It did, yeah. 
And the other thing about it, as weird as it was, it was weird. It was. And what um, what was done in later years, they removed all the body cladding, so it looked more like just a van. Uh, but it was actually very practical inside. It had tons of nooks and crannies and storage places and plug-in things. And for practicality purposes, it was actually a pretty decent vehicle. It just it looked it looked like the vehicle that should be in some 1980s science fiction movie as like the the moon traveler car or something. It just wasn't just wasn't quite there. One of my favorites, the Chevrolet Vega. In addition to the failure of Saturn and Pontiac, General Motors can be blamed for much, much more. Uh, Another one of its famous blunders, the 1971 Chevy Vega, apparently the engine of this car was so defunct that it couldn't even hold oil. Again, whoever wrote wrote this stuff isn't completely factual. Um, It says here that... facetious on purpose. Yeah, well, I don't think so. It meant that after 100 miles or so, the car would lose its ability to lubricate... It's tumblers and pistons. I don't know what a tumbler is. As any car buff knows, that's bad news. Uh, The bumper on this car, for instance, was uh, somehow so tragic it wouldn't last more than one icy winter. The moisture led the bumper to acute rust faster than Barry Gibb walks out of interviews. Is that fast? Pretty fast. Okay. Um, Okay, Vega. It was like similar cars, like the Citation. It was originally designed to use a rotary engine, Um, sort of like the Mazda rotary engine. It was originally designed for that. It General Motors scrapped the rotary engine idea, which is why it ended up with um, a different engine in the Citation and the different versions of that car. The Vega got an aluminum block engine. Uh, what GM did was they took a block of aluminum, drilled some holes in it, put pistons in it. Um, they were supposed to put some kind of they were supposed to put some sort of iron sleeve in the engine block. It didn't work well. The cylinder heads warped very easily with the heat. Um, it was not unusual to put two head gaskets on them to try to get the engines to seal properly. But they did have a high-performance version, and they did have a double overhead cam high-performance version, which was actually a pretty interesting car. Um, the car itself, little cheap economy car, um, uh, tried to compete with the Japanese after the fuel crisis. It was just too little too late is really what it came up with. Um, so, again, not it didn't have anything to do with the Vega, didn't have anything to do with the failure of Oldsmobile and Saturn and Pontiac and whatever. The slogan, the slogan apparently for the Yugo, everyone needs a Yugo sometime. I don't remember that slogan. No, I don't. I don't ever recall and, ever needing one. No. And it says, and the slogan was a bitter lie. Nobody needed a Yugo ever. The car was terrible. The name should have been changed to Yugon, according to this article. Uh, anyway, it wasn't until the car ceased to be manufactured, in the face of abysmal sales. It says here, among the uh, litany of errors that plagued the car was the fact that it was assembled on a cheap and really it was assembled on the cheap and it really worked. It was also small. Uh, the famous ad features an array of people cheering behind the car, who are 
presumably proud because they just pushed the broken car from one district to another. Okay, again, here's the problem with the Yugo. It was based on a 20-year-old design of a Fiat. Fiats were not dependable vehicles in 1960. So when Yugo, the Yugoslavian car company, took the old Fiat design, rebadged it, and brought it to the United States, bow tie on a pig. You're, not, you're still getting a pig afterwards. That's what it comes down to. Wasn't there a, a, a dealer in Brockton? Because I vaguely there remember was, in the there 90s. Was, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. There was a few dealers. It was, it was kind of funny. Certain dealers always had odd cars. Best Chevrolet had Sterlings. There was somebody up in the North Shore up on Route 1 that always had the, always had this, the, whatever the latest import was that never sold very successfully. Uh, there was a dealer in Brockton. I think it was a Buick dealer that had Yugos, maybe. Um, but they were they were based on a really lousy design. And to try to make it better, they came up with a Yugo convertible. I remember that. Yes. Yeah. That didn't help. No. Um, it was just. It, but it was it was a brand new car for thirty nine ninety five. That was its claim to fame. It was a four thousand dollar car, and it was imported by. What's his name? The guy who imported the Yugo. Um, can't remember. He Oh, Bricklin. Malcolm Bricklin imported the Yugo. Because he also built the Bricklin safety car, which there are a few of those floating around. I see one in Brookline every once in a while. It looks a little like a DeLorean. It has this really big bumper on the front of it. So supposedly you can hit something at like 30 miles an hour, and the bumper just has like big shock absorbers behind it. Um, I have no idea what you're it, talking about. Yeah, it's, it looks like just envision DeLorean with a big ugly bumper uh, and gullwing doors. So it was not, I don't recall it being a good car. Um, Malcolm Bricklin also came out with an electric bicycle about 30 years ago. So way ahead of his time there. And um, 30 years ago when I was doing a radio program like this with Dave Juve from, at the time, AAA Massachusetts that became AAA New Hampshire. Him and I did a program together. We had Malcolm Bricklin on the radio show, and he invited us out to his house to see the latest, whatever he was building then, bicycle or something. So, And his house supposedly, I've been told, has a Bricklin, no, has a Yugo crashing into its roof, like built into his mansion or whatever he lives on. Number 11 on the list, the Ford Pinto. Or as Dave Juve used to call it, the blue flame, because he had one. And if it got hit from behind, well, let's see what it says here. The Ford Pinto, other than having a terrible name, what's wrong with the Pinto? I thought it was a great name. Um, had a terrible reputation. It did, however, deserve this horrible reputation. Like the Ford counterpart, the Mustang II, this model had a gas tank manufactured on the back of the car. And, oh, did that not pan out well for people caught in accidents in the car. After many rear-end collisions, it would burst into flames, a blazing hunk of metal with you inside of it, not exactly what we call a winning automobile. And if it is, it probably needs to reevaluate your understanding of the word radical. Well... The way the gas tank was designed, it was actually in front of the rear axle. And the way the shock absorber was mounted, if it got smashed hard enough in the back, it would push the rear axle up. The base of the shock absorber would punch a hole in the gas tank, gas would leak out, and then it would catch on fire. Is how it would happen. Hence the blue flame of Dave's 
name. Um, they fixed it by putting a piece of plastic between it. I'm not sure that ever really fixed it, but but they took a gas tank strap off, and they took this quarter-inch thick of flexible plastic junk, and they stuck it in the gas tank, and then put the strap back on. And apparently that was enough that if the axle crashed into it, it wouldn't punch a hole in the metal gas tank. Not so much. Number 12 on the list was a car I actually owned, a PT Cruiser convertible. Let's see why they hated that. <laughs> if there was ever a vehicle that would induce onset of early glaucoma, this was it. Chrysler was shooting for hot rod design language, but I myself, and again, whoever wrote this, uh, felt a strong impulse to drive myself off a cliff rather than look into the other lane at the eyesore driving by. The impulse was strong. I was lucky to have suppressed it. Others surely have not been so fortunate. I don't know. It doesn't look bad. It doesn't look great. When, I never liked it, to tell you the truth. When we were replacing our Volkswagen Cabriolet, which my wife loved that car, so Volkswagen Rabbit with, with a fold-down roof, um, this was about the only other thing that was sort of in the same price range, and we bought it used from um, S&E Auto Sales over in Weymouth, and they have a place in somewhere, Walpole. And uh, they had it. It had, like, it was a former lease car, something, 6,000 miles on it. And uh, we had it till um, it got in a bad car crash. Then we didn't have it anymore. Oops. Oops. Um, the Reliant Robin, I don't think anybody knows what that is. The 1973 Lincoln Continental Mark IV. Reliant Robin at the bottom. I know. I don't know what that is. It was a three-wheel kind of thing. One wheel in the front. I've never seen one. The Lincoln Continental Mark Four, another gem of terrible 1970s engineering. Uh, it comes in the form of the 73 Lincoln Continental. The blunder of machines struggled down the street while uh, channeling later year Elvis. <clears throat> Lincoln had curb appeal for sure, but this gaudy land yacht would have had people's jaws dropping. I saw one on the highway the other day driving to the airport. Thing is huge. Um, we have plenty of time for trivia, but I don't know what to give away because I think I've given everything away. Yeah, yeah. So trivia's out. What do you mean trivia's out? Gonna be something I have. Gonna be something kicking around and give away, or maybe just the idea that someone wins. What was the 1970s TV show where the star character drove a Lincoln Continental Mark IV? If you know the answer to that. So it's a 19, because the car they have here is nice. So big, giant, two-door Lincoln Continental. What was the TV show where the character drove it? A couple other cars here. We're kind of beating us to death here. Uh, Lincoln S, uh, Lexus SC430. I like the Lexus. It's super reliable, uh, folds down, fold-down roof. I don't know what they didn't like about it. Um, Eagle Premier, well, there's a car that... Uh, okay. Is that the answer to the trivia? No. No, okay. I, well, I don't know. Maybe I didn't see it. Where? No. <laughs> That's not the answer to the trivia. Uh, 
Um, also on this list, number 20 on the list, the Brooklyn. Card Arctic Program. And then again, the uh, Chevy Chevette. Plymouth Prowler. I drove one of those by this morning. King Midget. Love the King Midget. Not a great car, but it looks cool. It looks like you made it in your basement. And then the Corvair. How can you not like a Corvair? You know, even though Mal even though uh, uh, you know, unsafe at any speed. You remember him? So uh, the Corvair, the Corvair was again. It was sort of an interesting car. Um, It says here that while many cars become niche hits because of their rear-engine drive, the Turbo Air 6-spec 1961 Corvair is not one of them. It uh, made them spin out far more frequently. Again, the person doesn't really have all their facts here. They put a stabilizer bar in it, sort of fixed it. Um, it was a little underpowered for the first few years, and then it got a little bit better. Um the Crosley Hotshot, another oddball car. And the Chevy EV1, which you couldn't actually buy, you could only lease, um, was actually one of the first real workable electric cars. It was actually pretty nice. And last on the list, the Amphicar. So a car that's a boat. How can you not like a car that's a boat? See, that's not fair. Why? That one was that was a good car. That thing well, was neat. I wouldn't say it was good. It was no, neat. The, prob the problem is I knew somebody who had one. And it was, it was not a good car, and it was not a good boat. It wasn't it was, so it had that problem of not good at either of those things. Uh, but it was also pretty unique, and uh, today actually a very collectible. So kind of kind of a kind of a kind of a neat car still. So for people that are still looking for them. So. So just kind of one of those. Just kind of one of those funny. One of those funny things. So, uh, anyway, so uh, let's see. We have a couple people that think they have think they have a guess on uh, on what on what they think is uh, the right answer here. What are you so, doing over there? Um, I I got distracted. All right, let's talk to. Uh, are these in order? Yes. Okay. Let's talk to John in Boston. Yeah. Hi, John. Yes, sir. Yeah. I think I have the answer to your question, and I think it was Cannon, the big guy. Was you were. You were. Do you remember what his first name was? Oh, I. I, I don't know. I remember. Oh, come on. Come on. Drive the Lincoln. Come on. First name. I just remember that show. The big guy used to drive the Lincoln Continental. Yeah, and 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 it always when he was always in because you're right. He was he was not particularly he was not particularly tall, and oh, he was he, yeah he well his his uh, they I think it was Frank Cannon. Oh, but, okay. Yeah, but the yeah. Uh, I just but he, but he was not a particularly big guy or tall guy, but he was as wide as he was tall. And yeah, and when guy. he used to when he used to like rush out of the car and pull his gun out, he looked like he was exhausted afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh that was a, that was an interesting that was an interesting show. Um and I think it was kind of I think it might have been spun off of uh uh, might have had something to do with like Ironsides or something too. That other show, but it was that whole sort of group of shows that were produced by the same company that did uh, did 
F, did the what the FBI shows and Hawaii Five O. Yeah, yeah. All, oh, uh, yeah. Quinn yeah. Mark production, yes. Martin. That's no, right. I yeah. Mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. So Quinn Martin production. So, and uh, the Cannon show uh, aired, I guess, from uh, from uh, the early seventies to like maybe what seventy five or six or something like that. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Tell you what, stay right there. We'll send you something. Hey, I missed out your list. How do I hear those list of cars? I got distracted over here. I'm trying to hear your list. Anywhere I can hear that list of cars that you just mentioned. Okay, go to go to go to Science One Hundred and One. Science One Hundred and One. Science One Hundred and One is where it came from. Uh, Science One Hundred and One dot com. Thirty cars that never should have been built is what it was listed under. What was the one before you said the amphibian car? Uh, the one before the amphibian car was. Hang on, the one that was before the amphibious, amphibious car, which, which you know, which Dennis said wasn't wasn't fair because I don't know. Let's see. I don't, I don't have it. I don't. Uh, oh, the EV one. Oh, EV. Oh, I yeah. drove it. It was a fabulous yeah. car. The EV one was a fabulous car. It was a little. It was Highway Five one time. Yeah. No, it was a it was a fantastic car. It had. Uh, it, the problem was it had sort of uh, old-style batteries in it, and that's why it never really worked quite as good as it could have. But, yeah, there was somebody there was somebody in Brockton that had one for the long— even though they weren't supposed to have them anymore, they were all supposed to be turned in. I think this guy um, managed to get his hands on one and just never gave it back, and it was it was sitting in a driveway for years. Is it still around? No, it's gone now. It's gone you know, now. I read but... recently on the Internet that somebody paid a Rolls-Royce price for— one or two of the survivors that are out there. Yeah, I bet they. I bet they probably did. But stay yeah, right. Yeah, stay right there. Well, uh, down, go ahead. Go ahead. Electric cars. Uh, if you have an electric car, I don't know the answer to this. And somebody wants to jumpstart their car because I think electric cars are twelve volt battery. Is that a no no or um, never do that? Um, well, it, what happened? It depends. Give me a jump. Well, if it's a Tesla with a four hundred volt battery pack, not a good idea. Well, but, I think you have a Nissan Leaf and you. Can you jump my car? They got to get if there if there if there is if there. if there is a twelve volt battery, and you and you're not I what I would do is just leave leave the leaf shut off, so you're just um so you just you know have the leaf in the off position and you're using the twelve volt battery to start another twelve volt car with a dead battery you'd be fine. What I would question is once you tried to restart. You know, I, I don't think I would do it with the leaf running because I would be afraid. It's a very delicate charging system. It's not a conventional generator, alternator-style charging system. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't do it with that. But as a standalone 12-volt battery, it would be fine. It wouldn't be any different than wouldn't be any different than leaving the lights on or something like that. The problem is most electric car batteries, the twelve volt batteries, are pretty lightweight batteries because they're only designed to run the twelve volt accessories. So you might not get a lot of you might not get a lot of cranking amperage out of it. But mm -hmm. yeah, in fact, AAA just released a study this week that showed that the typical um, electric car with that has a resistance style heater or a heater that uses um, the engine, the battery and, and motor management system to generate heat um, can look at up to, in some cases, up to a 40% reduction in um, driving miles 
when the heat is on, full blast. So, you know, in, in, a, in a Tesla that has a 400-volt battery pack and a resistance-style heater, even though it has coolant for the batteries and so forth, um, and trying to draw some heat away from that or using a, a heat exchanger or a heat pump-type system, uh, a car that might have a 150-mile range might drop to 100 miles if you if you start the car cold and you're running the heater, which is why it makes a lot more sense while the car is plugged in to pre-condition the cabin. And uh, mm. so you can see a drop. So with the um, with the heat with the heater off, you can maybe see a 10 to 15 percent drop in mileage in cold, cold weather. And in really hot weather, you might see a four or five percent drop in mileage. But as soon as you start to turn the heater on, in some cases, like the even the new Nissan Leaf with the 150-mile range or the Tesla Model 3, you can see some pretty significant drops in mileage. And, you know, we put out the release just to have people aware that um, as good as the electric cars are getting, there is, you are going to see some drop in mileage on very, very bitterly cold days where you want to run the heat. Mm-hmm. Anyway, well, stay right. Yep. Did you see the movie Who Killed the Electric Car? Yeah. And the Revenge of the Electric Car? I'd like to find the people uh, that were in charge of GM at the time and say, why did you ever kill that car? Who well, well yeah, fine, you know, yeah, you know, you probably can't, but, you know. Anyway, stay right mm-hmm. there. Stay right anyway, there. We'll, we'll, we'll send you out something, okay? Oh, All right. Thank you. Yep. Dennis will take care of John. And uh, what? Tell me what you want to do. Take a break. Let's take a break. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. You're listening on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. And we still have tickets to give away to the AAA Travel Marketplace, where I plan to be broadcasting live. Oops, I probably should have told the radio station that first. But I should be there. Because when am I going to get to go to the six-time Super Bowl champion stadium and broadcast live? Not at the Patriots game. So I might as well do it at the AAA Travel Marketplace. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. AM 950 WROL, The Spirit of Boston. We'll be right back.
And welcome back to the Car Doctor Program. Our phone number is 617-770-3030. 617-770-3030 is how you get through. Talk to us about your car, your car problems, whatever's on your mind. Uh, thank you. Let's see. We're sending out um, we're sending out uh, tickets to John and Bill Ricca, Peter and South Yarmouth, and Harvey and Sharon. Um, and we still have some time left if you want some tickets, Dennis staring at me we have plenty of tickets because why because you're not going to give them out next week and the week after that and the week after that <laughs> no no we have plenty of tickets because they're triple a tickets so i, I understand I get, that you, i get you, you, i get as many as i want i think so although i don't i don't know that's actually true anymore these just sort of showed up on my desk uh there is a um, article in automotive news that says how jimmy car car came to embrace embrace EVs. And it says, Jim Farley, Ford Motor Company's president of global markets, might be one of the last people you'd expect to embrace electric vehicles. When he was growing up in Argentina, friends called him Jimmy Car Car. During the holidays in Michigan, he spent hours paging through every issue of Automotive News his grandfather, a Ford dealer, had collected throughout the year. When he was 14 and spending his summers in California, he bought a black 1965 Mustang, rebuilt the engine, then traded it traded a plane ticket for gas money to drive to Michigan without a license to visit his parents. To this day, he said some of his biggest headaches in his marriage come from haggling a yearly budget for his racing hobby. Now Farley is reckoning with an evolving industry and beginning and helping lead Ford's adoption of electrification technology that might usurp the gasoline engines that power the joy rides of his youth. And he thinks he's found a way to blend the two worlds. I've gone through a personal jury, uh, journey on this one, says Farley. He's 56. Um, he said, I'm, in, uh, I'm a little old school as you can get. I remember him, and I think he either worked for Pontiac or Toyota. And this had to be 30 years ago. He was a kid. He'd been around too long. Uh, Ford has fallen behind the other electric, uh, electric vehicle. It killed the C-Max Hybrid, which was a decent little electric car, and the Ford Focus Electric, which wasn't a decent little electric car, and divined its early foray into the market. Uh, it has, been, it has uh, seen competition from the Chevy Bolt and Tesla Model 3. In a way, we had an advantage of watching what happened for the first time around. Uh, Ford is investing $11 billion in electrification and plans to introduce 40 electrified models through 2022. Uh, there's one vehicle most excited about since Farley in an investor uh, presentation last week, the still unnamed crossover rocket ship. Farley said Ford is moving away from positioning electric vehicles as eco-friendly green machines and focusing more on their performance capabilities. If you uh, give people more than just fuel economy, we think there's a real opportunity for electrification. So really fast electric cars, I guess, is what he's saying, which is what Teslas are now. Ford plans to focus on electrification strategy on commercial vehicles and passionate nameplates such as the Mustang. So an electric Mustang? Well, I mean, the 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 work is already done. All they have to do is look at Elon Musk's patents. They're all out there. Yeah, that's what he said. He said they're open They're open patterns. Anybody can use them. Um, How Tai Tang, Ford's uh, production boss, said last week the automaker's battery electric offerings will uh, be a contribution margin positive. Boy, that's that's bookkeeper talk. 
So electric cars are going to help bottom line, I guess. Uh, changing times remain a major hurdle, blah, 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 range, anxiety, and so forth. Um, changing tires? Hmm? Changing tires on electric cars are an issue? No, no. Range anxiety. Oh, I thought you said changing tires. Well, yeah, that could be, but if they were electric tires, but they're not. Sorry. Um, but anyway, so um, so they're thinking a performance electric car, which you know, which makes sense. Uh, Don Garlitz, the legendary drag racer, Big Daddy Don Garlitz, is also building. He's trying to build an electric drag race. Drag race. He's super fast off the line. He's eighty-five years old. Super fast off the line. But the fastest he can make it go is like 160 miles an hour. He's shooting for 200 miles an hour. And he was the first guy to uh, hit 200 miles an hour in a drag racer. Um, and he believes in UFOs. Just want to point that out. Ain't nothing wrong with that. No, I, I wasn't. I, I'm not criticized. I'm just pointing out the facts. But he, um, he was... Um, I, I got to meet him once, and he was a really he, very down to earth kind of regular guy. And I've never been to his, um, I've never been to his drag racing museum, but I understand it's pretty interesting. And uh, if you're down down that way, go go check it out. I think it's in like Gainesville, Florida, or something. But he's 85 years old. Go and he's there a lot. So go go hang out with him. You know, over you know, I was looking at this article. Um, you know, Jim Farley. You know, whatever he is now, uh, Ford Motor Company's president of global markets. Been on the radio show. How Tai Tang. Um, product boss. Ford's product boss. Been on this radio show. Don Garlitz. Hasn't been on this radio show. But I have talked to him. So, close enough. Uh, Subaru hits its 10-year straight record of record sales crossovers, especially the redesigned Crosstech. Our uh, keys to success as light trucks drive the U.S. vehicle sales. Subaru's growing lineup of fresh crossovers boosted the brand for another yearly sales record in 2018. Um, they have they have an interesting, you know, they have the share the love campaign. And I was um, flipping through Facebook the other day or today or something, and there is a local Subaru distributor. Ernie Bach, with uh, a member of Aerosmith in his private jet heading out to the Grammys. So, I don't know why he didn't invite me. I would have gone. I can get dressed up. Uh, Fiat Chrysler Automobiles is focused on helping dealers add technicians during the... During the uh, a meeting at the National Auto Dealers Association show, the automaker revealed a goal for hiring another 1,000 technicians throughout the country, according to Don Lee, president of Lee Auto Malls in Maine. To build a pipeline for future prospects, uh, for, uh, FCA must generate more interest in the service tech career track. So the automaker is rolling out a networking campaign seeking to leak, link students with career opportunities. The Mopar Career Automotive Program is launched um, the Assemble Your Future campaign to give students a chance to meet the dealer reps, uh, FCA technicians, and Dodge SRT, Mopar-sponsored professional racing teams. Um, it says instructors and dealers near four National Hot Rod Association events will be invited to tracks around the country for networking opportunities. Networking programs not mentioned during the make meeting was announced in January 25th to align with the NADA show. FCA's networking effort will focus on NHRA events. I think they're going down the wrong path. 
FCA cited data from U.S. labor bureaus <laughs> saying that they said an estimated 750,000 auto technicians are working in the U.S., but the industry will need to hire an additional 46,000 before the end of 2026. Lee said the uh, meeting was upbeat with fewer complaints than previous years. I'm not so, you know, I don't know if that's, you know, going to NHRA events, um, great events, but I don't know if that's how you can get interest. You want to get interest? You got to pay people. You got to pay for their training. And you got to do away with what's called the flat rate labor system. When you go get your car repaired, the technician gets paid, make up a number, $15 an hour. And the job is in a book. We'll say it's a book. Um, and it's, it pays three hours to do that particular job. If the technician does it in two hours, he gets paid three hours. If he does it in four hours, he gets paid three hours. If he works 60 hours a week, a true 60 hours a week, he gets no overtime. So it's um, so you don't get overtime unless the shop opts to pay overtime. But if you get paid flat rate, your hours are based on the amount of work you do, not the amount of hours you put in. So that kind of, there's a problem with the system. And it's a system that's been around for a long time. And the better shops have done away with um, some of the flat rate systems. And they've gone to sort of bonus-based systems when everybody does well, everybody does well kind of thing. Um, it leads to cutting corners where it shouldn't. And that's one of the reasons. Um uh, you know, the the I was talking to a, somebody at a dealership, and they were having trouble hiring help. And it was down in Rhode Island, and they, the problem is they were paying what they thought was good money. Come to find out, it wasn't a whole lot different than somebody who, like, installs carpet or puts tile down in someone's house. And if you look at the tool investment, you know, $10,000 worth of automotive tools, $500 worth of carpet tools. You know, there's not... But I can also see the other way around where people want to get things done so that they can get um, things done quicker, quickly and they're still cutting corners because they want to get as much work in as possible mm-hmm. to get it done. Yeah, no, it's it. The, unfortunately, it leads to a good person who's going to be a good person. They're going to do the job. They're going to do it right. But there are going to be times that that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And it puts a lot of pressure on the technician and the technicians that are sort of my age are they they don't they're get, they're just looking to bide their time to get out of the business and to try to attract millennials and they don't want to go fix cars and even the computer part if you say well you can fix half a car with a laptop they're like yeah I can go I don't need to be in that environment so there has to the way you appeal to most people is good benefit packages and pay decent pay and that's my little soapbox there. Hey, we're just we're running out of time, according to my watch, which could be, which is historically yeah, we're, inaccurate. We're so. running out of time. Are we? Are we really? So yeah, we got less than three minutes. And look, and Paul Sullivan's right there, sitting well, there. I, all you have to do is make like a millennial and uh, take the time off your your uh, phone. Instead of then what, you'll this, always be correct. This, instead of this thing I have on this. Yes. This decoration i have on my wrist yes in fact you know in my other life i i deal with small children yeah and um actually my watch broke so i took it off but i i had a watch like you because we're the same age and they all said what's that (laughs) there was um 
There was something What's on that the, dinosaur on your wrist. There was something Sullivan? on there was something on the radio the other day about and I think they called it the Millennial Olympics. And they had a bunch of twenty something year olds try to do things they've never like how to send a fax. Yeah. Um how to dial a, uh, a yeah. rotary telephone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, stuff like that. Uh, it was funny. I watched the beginning of some movie, and I don't even know what it was. It had Chevy Chase in it and somebody else in it. And he was a um, an aging comedian or talent agent or something, and it showed his apartment. Yeah. And it had the... It had the push-button phone, but it was a desk-style phone with the push-buttons, mm-hmm. you know, just square phone. Yeah. It had a Rolodex. Yep. Um, all things I still have, by yeah, the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, is that because the movie was made in that era, or they were spoofing? Um, no, no, it was, uh, he, he was, his granddaughter was trying to get him to move to some retirement village somewhere, and this was his apartment. And it was, you know, it was current time. It was, you know, whatever, yeah. 2018. Yeah. Um, but he still lived like it was 1975. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Uh, now Dennis is looking up the movie because he's. Well, you've given him enough that he can put certain keywords into the Google uh, search engine and see yeah. what, what it's he called comes IMDb. Up with. IMDb, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. International yeah. movie database. database. Yeah. Hey, I got it. Hey, you got it. See, see, well, I wouldn't have got it without you're, your help. It's you're so you're almost, you're almost a millennial. I am almost there. Yeah. The last laugh. The last laugh. The last laugh. Yeah, I watched. What year? Twenty eighteen. Yeah. So Chevy Chase made a no, new. No, twenty nineteen. Really? Yeah, it just came out. Yeah. Would you see it on the plane? Can't tell you. <laughs> Ooh, I know what he did. <laughs> Uh, there you go. Anyway, I, that's surprising me that Chevy Chase is still making movies. He but, still is, yeah, yeah. yeah good. So. good for him. And and again, I only watched a minute or two of it, and it was just. But it, as they panned through his apartment in Beverly Hills or wherever the view was supposed to be, yeah. but just the metal Rolodex, the big metal Rolodex, yeah. and the uh, and uh, uh, I had one of those little flip up Rolodex things at my de- desk, and somebody came over and said, "My Grammy has one of those." <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, fine, <laughs> fine." So what's up for the Irish Hit Parade today, Mr. Sullivan, as the uh, piano player plays? Oh, as a piano player playing? Yeah, yeah. See, I, I don't have any uh, workable headphones here, so I don't know. Um, we're going to play the best music from Ireland, take some requests, and uh, sit back and enjoy a windy, blustery day. So it would be a good day to light a fire, have a cup of tea, and uh, Or whatever enjoy. suits your fancy, yes. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 Latch used to say that. Did he? Sit down, have a cup of tea, or whatever suits your fancy, yes. And so that's iconic from the IHP. Oh, all right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Mike, you I, just, hit it. I just I just thought it was a good time to have a cup of tea. Sure it is. All right. All right. Coming up next, the very best in Irish music with Paul Sullivan and the Irish Hit Parade. Uh, until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, be good to your car. Tune in to Joe Ligotti's show. Well, every day, but tune in this Wednesday at 515. You might even hear me. Till next week. See you then. Bye-bye. Thank you.